0: Good morning, church. How we doing? Amen. Amen. Man, anybody else just love Jesus? Yeah. Where would we be without Jesus? Uh, Well, I'm excited uh, to share in this Tell Me a Story series. As you all heard, I'm newer to staff. I've met quite a bit of you out in the lobby shaking hands and chasing your kids around to give fist bumps. You know, that's probably my favorite thing to do on Sunday mornings. Uh, My my evil plan, you know, one of our values here is to know your pastor. So my evil plan is that all the kids five and under would know their pastor. And I'm going to be their favorite before they even think about it. So that's my plan. Um, But yeah, we're continuing this series. And when Tyler began the series and when he launched us out into the series, he he dubbed the first part of this series, the grumpy old man. And we all enjoyed the grumpy old man. Well, last week we had Clayton, and this week you got me, so I'm dubbing the rest of this series the chubby young men, all right? <laughs> so we're just gonna hunker down. We love to go back for seconds, and hopefully today feels like you got seconds from God's word. Um, if you can, join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, God, we just thank you. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your mercy and your grace, and God, how you meet us right where we are. God, I thank you that we can go to your word like we will today, and just be reminded just how much you love us, how much you care for us, and God, the links you go to prove that. God, would you be in this place? We know that you're here, but would you have your way? Holy Spirit, would you say the things I cannot say? Would you do the things in the hearts of people that my words cannot do? God, we know that your word is sharper than a double-edged sword, so God, would you cut down in our hearts to the bone and to the marrow? Would you make hard things to understand simple and the crooked places in our hearts straight? God, we love you. I pray that in the mighty name of Jesus, amen. So today, as you saw in the video, we're going to be talking a little bit about this guy named Levi or Matthew who was a tax collector. And we're going to do that by jumping into the Gospels. So we're going to do something that might be a little different. We're going to read from two different Gospels this morning. We're going to read from the book of Mark and we're going to read from the book of Luke. And the reason I'm doing that is because those books are what we would call a synoptic Gospel. So uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are synoptic gospels, meaning that when you read them beside each other, they read pretty much the same, except they were written by different authors. And so just like anybody, if we were all to go to a Reds game yesterday and saw the Braves win, woohoo! All right, yep, yep, Georgia boy, sorry, go Bravos, all right, but if, but if we were to go to that game and tell the story, a Reds fan would only be talking about Ellie. And listen, okay, I love Ellie too, he's great, all right, I wish he was on the Braves, all right? But, but me, as a Braves fan, I'm going to tell this story with a different detail. And so sometimes when you read through the Gospels, you may pick up something in another book that uh, maybe Mark didn't have because what Luke uh, thought was significant, he put down. And so what we're going to do, we're going to first read in the book of Mark. We're going to be in chapter 2, so you can join me there. Mark chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible, so if you have the app on your phone, you can pull it up. And for you lazy Christians, it will be on the screen. Um, I still love you. It will be on the screen. Here we go. Mark 2, starting in verse 13, it says this. Then Jesus went out again beside the sea. The whole crowd was coming to him, and he taught them. Then moving on, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, Follow me. So he got up and followed him. While he was reclining at the table in Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were also guests with Jesus and his disciples, because there were many who were following him. When the scribes of the Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard this, he told them, those who are well don't need a doctor, but the sick do need one. And I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now join me in the book of Luke chapter five. We're picking up at verse 27. I'll give you 2.5 seconds to get there. It will be on the screen. Picking up in verse 27. Chapter 5, it says this. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So leaving everything behind, he got up and began to follow him. Then Levi hosted a grand banquet for him at his house. And there was a large crowd of tax collectors and others who were guests with them. But the Pharisees and their scribes were complaining to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus replied to them, The healthy don't need a doctor, but the sick do. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Bless the reading of God's words this morning. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. These few words are some of the most significant words spoken by Jesus in his earthly ministry. In one sentence, Jesus revealed to all that would listen his heart for the lost, the purpose of his ministry, and gave context for his actions and even later his sacrificial death. In these words, we find the only qualification that makes us attractive to Jesus. Like the only thing that makes us pretty to Jesus is this, our brokenness. This was the case for one obscure tax collector by the name of Levi. We know Levi as Matthew, and on this day, just like any other day, he was in cultural betrayal. This very Jewish man sitting in his tax booth on the job, collecting taxes for Rome. To to do this job was to betray his very existence as a Jew. In a sense, this man had joined the enemy. Uh, To the poor and needy, he had become an oppressor. He was collecting taxes that they did not have to give. And to the religious elites, and to those who established the religious order, uh, he was a reprehensible and despised man. He had been castigated and, and thrown out of the assembly. He was unclean. If I had to sum it up, on this day sat a man in a booth that needed a way of escape. In that booth sat a man that needed a guilt-free, and tangible hope. In that booth sat a man that needed acceptance. The text tells us, That like any other day, Jesus was going about his father's business. He was going out and he was preaching, this time by the sea. And just like any other time that Jesus began to preach, the crowd would come. See, people were ate up with Jesus. They loved the way that he preached and they loved the miracles he did. And so they just wanted to come and keep getting more. And just like this, we see them coming again. Yet, if we slow down enough to read our passage, we realize there was one that did not come. That was Levi. I want to propose far enough from the crowd, yet close enough to hear and see sat Levi. I imagine day after day, sitting in his tax booth near the shores of Galilee, He had heard the rumblings of this great teacher, this man, this man named Jesus, who was willing to to touch and heal those who were overlooked and unloved. He had likely heard Jesus preach the message of the kingdom, and that was probably a time where he wanted to respond. But something about sitting in that tax booth kept his butt on that seat, and he couldn't move. And on this day, passing by in only the way that Jesus could, foreshadowing his grace to us, Jesus initiated the contact. Jesus didn't allow Levi to stay seated one more time. Instead, Jesus, like that father who sits on the porch waiting for his children to come home, went to Levi and said, follow me. And we see in our passage that his life was forever changed. This reminds me of one of my favorite Bible verses, when I'm feeling too high about myself or when I'm feeling too low about myself. And, and, and the, the idea that either I don't need God or that God will never accept me again begins to try to overtake my mind. It's John 3, 17. It says this, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And that verse is attached at the hip by probably all of our favorite verses. It's the, the, it's the one sentence that preaches the gospel like no other, John three sixteen 16, that, that tells us that it was on the account of love that Jesus came. Now, we all know this. Love is a complicated thing. We got songs about it. We got movies about it. Like right now, somebody could say, I love my mama and I love buffalo chicken pizza, and We understand. Right? Depending on who you are, their order changes, (laughs) right? Love is complicated. Now imagine just how complicated the unique love of Jesus is. It's really hard to sum up, but I love the way that the late Reverend Howard Thurman put it when he was trying to describe this love of Jesus. In one of his university lectures, He defined it this way. He said this, the love of Jesus is a love that deals with the person beyond their faults and their virtues. It's a love that deals with them at their core. In other words, the love of Jesus is one that looks beyond the stain of sin and it's one that equally disregards the vain beauty to deal with the matters of the soul. The love of Jesus is not a love that is scared away by the stench of sin and a broken life, nor will it be uh, intoxicated by the fragrance of religion. But instead, the love of Jesus calls us right where we are. He meets us where we are. He says, come to me as you are, where you are. In fact, I will meet you where you are. But just know this, I'm never going to leave you here again. The love of Jesus takes us on a journey. It takes us to where God intends us to be. And I hope that resonates with you because just like Levi sinfully working away in his tax booth filled with shame, loss of identity, spiritual neediness, Jesus sees each and every one of us just as we are today and gives us that same invitation. He says simply this, follow me. With that said, for my note takers, I wanna give you a tag for our text today. I know some people here like to take notes. You're studious, like me. I'm gonna give you some homework assignments today, so get ready for that too. I my, my tell people I went to college three times, I graduated twice. I'm smart. <laughs> I know something. But here's what you can write down. When Jesus calls, when Jesus calls, this is gonna lead us the rest of the way. When Jesus calls, when we study the passage, the first truth I want to give you is this. When Jesus calls you, he sees you. When Jesus calls you, he sees you. I know that's a funky sentence. All right, Just stick with me. When Jesus calls you, he sees you. Our text tells us that as Jesus was moving on, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office. I don't know about you, but there's just something powerful about Jesus amidst the adulation, amidst the noise of the crowd and and people pulling at him to still see the measly tax collector. There's just something powerful about a God that doesn't allow the praise of other people to restrict him from hearing your sorrow. There's just something special about the eyes of Jesus. When he looked at this tax collector, one commentator says this word saw in our text and its original intent has this definition. To carefully and deliberately interpret its object. In other words, when Jesus saw Levi, he he saw to the depths of his soul and his being. He saw to, to all the false identities that Levi was walking in. I love that definition because it brings me back to this theological truth and to this, this point that helps us understand how we can see Jesus throughout the whole scriptures. So Jesus seeing deeper to the soul of Levi didn't begin with Levi, but, it, but it's all throughout the Bible. One of my favorite uh, ways of seeing this play out is with uh, a lady by the name of Hagar. Maybe you know Hagar. Hagar was the slave girl to Abraham and Sarah who suffered multiple layers of abuse under their care. In her attempt to run away, she was running away from the abuse. She was running away from the situation. The problem is she was running to the desert with no resources. And God, in only the way that he can, he, he met her in that desert place so tenderly. And when he met her, we're told that she is met by an, the angel of the Lord. And when this angel of the Lord meets her, he gives her both a blessing and a command, kind of like when Jesus says, follow me. It's a a blessing and a command. This is the same angel of the Lord that told Abraham to go. This is the same angel of the Lord that wrestled with Jacob. This is the same one that, that commissioned Moses from the burning bush. In response to this visit, she declares these words. She says, you are the God who sees. In Hebrew, that is El Roi, which is actually one of the names that we have for God. So when we gather all the evidence throughout the scripture, when we think about the claims of Jesus, we quickly realize that this angel of the Lord is, is much more than an angel, but the pre-incarnate Christ himself the son who existed before the foundations of the earth, doing what he does best, seeing people right where they are and always having the solution, seeing deeper to the souls and the hearts of people he encounters and invites them into something that will change their life forever. I don't know who needs to hear this. Maybe we all do, but Jesus, El Roy, the God who sees, he sees you in your tax booth. He sees you in your desert season. He, he sees you in your brokenness. He sees you in your shame. He, he sees you drenched in the pain of your story. And maybe for some of us, and I want to speak specifically to men right now, he sees us proudly walking in our unrepentant sin. And here's the uh, implicit truth behind that. No matter what, you can't hide. But here's the other truth. You don't need to. You don't need to. But beyond Jesus seeing us, uh, Jesus interprets us. Like, like what does it mean to be interpreted? Here's what I know. My wife sometimes wants me to interpret her. Where my my guys at, right? Sometimes, I love my wife, sometimes she has lists in her head that she didn't pass on to me that when I don't do them, I'm in trouble. And I just want to say, the only man that can interpret you is Jesus. So give me a list, you know. (laughs) But seriously... Jesus interprets us. He, he, like, he literally sees to the very core of your soul. He sees the root of every problem in your life. He sees the thirst deep inside. But more than see it, Jesus promises to deal with it. For we're willing to trust him. See, when Jesus looked at Levi and when he looks at us, he not only sees us, as we are, remember, he, he sees us more than just as we are. He sees us where he wants to take us. So when Jesus sees you, no matter how jacked up your life is, he sees you as who you will become in him. In the same way that the promise of Jesus is when we stand before the Father one day, he will see us as he saw Jesus nailed to the cross. The problem is, and the reason it's so hard for us to hold on to that is because we have an enemy of our soul who hates that truth. See, the enemy of our soul loves the honor-shame culture. And the way he works that out is this. He, he either, he either uh, keeps you ashamed and in secret about your sin because you're afraid of the dishonor that will come if you expose that sin or he brings so much adulation and just, and just so much cultural uh, acceptance around something that you have no idea you have a vice that is killing you. Like this is, this is why we can sometimes live life and think what is wrong is good and what is good is wrong. One place leads you to shame and the other leads you to pride disguised as honor. Ultimately, what begins to happen is that the very thing that so enslaves us is the very thing we run to to find our identity. Just think about it. If you grew up in a small town like me, you probably had this experience. There is somebody in your town right now that has a name that was once an insult. Everybody here knows somebody named Stanky. Now, why, how did Stanky become Stanky? Because one day when Stanky was 11, he was stanky. And somebody called him Stanky and then everybody started calling him Stanky and then he started saying, I'm Stanky. So even his uniform they stanky now. He take baths now, but he still go by Stanky. Right? That, that's a funny picture of what happens when we don't allow Jesus to deal with our sin. Before you know it, you walking around here calling yourself stanky when Jesus wants to call you clean. At the same time, though, we all know people who we thought had it together. And because they had it together, we we honored them for it. Then all of a sudden, their lives imploded in front of everybody to see and we realized that behind all the beauty, behind all the mask, was a sin that they were unwilling to give to Jesus. And you know why? Because they thought the cost of revealing this sin for all to see would cost my life too much. And what, I be- what we all begin to learn is this. No, what costs too much is thinking you can stuff that. You better deal with that sin problem at year two of your marriage versus year 32. You walking around here addicted to pornography at 18, don't think getting married is going to change that. Deal with it today so that you don't break your wife's heart one day. You got a little drug problem here and there, don't think you're going to have a little drug problem here and there in 10 years. Deal with it today. Give it to Jesus. Because can I tell you something? A broken reputation in Jesus' hands does more than a great reputation in your hands. A broken story in Jesus' hands changes lives. A good reputation in your hand builds followers. And that's why we're broken. Everybody wants to be an influencer. Everybody wants 10,000 people to follow you on social media. Nobody wants to say, last night I thought about killing myself. And I need somebody to reach out and and care for me. You know who wants to reach out to you? Jesus. You know who accepts you in that brokenness? Jesus. You know who promises to walk with you and be with you forever in that brokenness? Jesus. Even if you never get it right. If you just have enough mustard in you to say, God, I need you. And even if you never get it right, his promise is, you're never getting it right. I will get right one day before my father. Jesus just says, takes the first step. Be honest before me. Your enemy hates that. He wants to keep you locked up. But can I give you an old theological truth that you better never let go? Satan is a liar. And you know what else is a liar? The flesh, our hearts, the thing inside of us that he uses to pull us in the path in which he wants us to go. And to pair with that theological truth is a greater theological truth. If Satan is a liar and our flesh is a liar, that means they have limited power because, because lies have less power than the truth. And here's what we know. Jesus says that I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And so what will you trust today? Jesus. God the Father, the, the Holy Spirit inside of you that is wrecking your heart right now. Know this, he doesn't have plans to destroy your life. It looks hard. It looked hard for the Israelites in Jeremiah, the, the verse we love to put on our coffee. Jeremiah 29, 11. He also told them, y'all going to be here for a while. Matter of fact, ain't none of y'all going to survive. Your kids will go back home, though. So sometimes saying yes to God is walking through the valley to a slow death. But I promise you that slow death is better for you than the death you're racing ahead to. He has plans to prosper you, even if it hurts. Though you slay me, though you slay me, In this story, Levi was still a Jewish tax collector that had betrayed his people and wrote receipts for Rome. But, but Jesus saw the man who would die as Matthew the evangelist, who would write some of the words of Scripture that would change the entire world. This man would take on a new name that meant gift of God. How could a man who robbed God's people get a name that says he's actually a gift of God? How could that be? Can I tell you, it's Jesus. The series is called Tell Me a Story, but can I tell you something? We're not telling you stories because we want to tell you stories. We're telling these stories because we we need to on our staff and we need all our stakeholders to begin to just live the story. I once was blind, but now I see. I was headed to a certain death in hell But now I live to live again. Why? Because of Jesus. The difference is found in moving from hiding to simply being his. Oh, the joy of just being his. Oh, the joy I have when I lay my head on the pillow at night and, and I know I belong to Jesus. Oh, the joy when I wake up and my feet hit the ground and I know I'm still in his grace. Oh, the joy when I mess it up, I know that there's forgiveness on the other end. Oh, the joy to simply be here so that when I commit my hands to his work, I know the heart behind it. What's the application? The more we open ourselves to be known by Jesus, the more we experience the blessing of Jesus. Here's your first homework assignment. It's a dangerous question, but I challenge you to ask it. And if you entrust me with some spiritual authority in your life as a pastor, I beseech you to ask this question (laughs) What am I hiding that God already sees? Where in my life have I fashioned some fig leaves thinking I'm hiding something from God that he already sees? The, the, the crazy part about Adam and Eve knitting together those fig leaves is that even though they try to knit together fig leaves, God knit them together something better. God said, those fig leaves are enough. Let me, let me, let me, fi- let me fix you together something from my hands. And he sacrificed the animal and knitted them together clothes made of wool. Something that will actually keep them warm in the cold at night. Something that will actually cover them. Because see, it's through sacrifice that God intends to cover us. He's going to cover you with something that's going to keep you warm in the valley. He's going to cover you with something that will take you through the darkness of night. That when the season changes, it won't wither up like those fig leaves. but it will sustain you. That's what Jesus offers us. Leads me to my second point. When Jesus calls you, it's for a purpose. It's for a purpose. As our text folks along, we see that Levi decides to throw a dinner party for Jesus. You could probably imagine getting dinner with Jesus at this time was a hot, tippet, a hot ticket, but now imagine hosting Jesus at your house. But I wonder what it looked like cleaning his house knowing Jesus was coming over there, boy. If he had a dishwasher, I bet it was all kind of socks and shoes up in there, he was just trying to get it right. <laughs> but as a guy who had been rejected by all people, he had been rejected by the, the lawyers of people in the society for being a tax collector, and he had been rejected by the people with all the power. As a dude who, who had experienced total rejection, what a chance he had to change his fortunes by inviting only those people who, could, who mattered most in society to eat dinner with Jesus. But when we read our text, what do we see? We see Levi forfeited doing what felt good for him and using his life to bring other people into proximity to Jesus. The guests at Levi's house were not the Pharisees and the religious elite, but it says that he invited a great number of tax collectors and sinners. See, sharing a meal in this time, just like today, was an intimate thing. But to invite somebody into your home to share that meal, that was next level. And so this meant something for everybody at this meal. For, for Jesus reclining at a table with these religious outcasts and sinners, what was a tangible expression of his love for them. In a sense, it was a foreshadow to the acceptance that he would extend from a bloody cross two years later. From the Pharisees and teachers observing this, Jesus reclining at this table was another moment in which he confounded their wisdom because they, they had the law and they thought we know the law. We know the way back to the Father, and Jesus is showing up on the scene, confounding their wisdom and the system they've set up. Jesus brought chaos to their religious order, and they hated him for it. Man, wouldn't it be great to be a church that brings chaos to religious order, and people hate us for it? Maybe that's just me. For Levi reclining at this table... It meant something totally different. Yes, it echoed his acceptance of his fellow tax collectors, but this table was also a table of purpose. It was a purpose to make his circle of influence a space for, for, for God's impact. We learned very quickly that Levi connected the dots that when I followed Jesus, I followed Jesus with my whole life. And following Jesus with my whole life means that I followed Jesus into his purposes. It spits in the face of this lie of just having a personal faith. You know what a true personal faith has? It has a public witness. We were not just made for lattes or window seat and my daily bread at 6.35 in the morning. I love a window seat with my coffee in the morning reading God's word, but that is not what he made me for. He made me to go on rescue missions every day because I believe with all certainty that Jesus literally is the only way. And so I live my life as such. But I think we get this. We've all heard the Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations. We, we, know, we know we're supposed to baptize people to the faith. We know that we're supposed to teach people, but instead I think we love to do that, and we love to do it where it looks a little bit more like the Pharisees. We like to set the rules and the standards. We love to kind of uh, pre-disciple people before we evangelize. All right, I want you to come to my house for dinner. I want you to come to my church. Come to my small group, but leave your vape at home. I'm going to pre-disciple you. I know you smoke weed today. But before you can get in my my water and be baptized, you need to stop smoking weed. Jesus never said that. Jesus brings the salvation, then brings the sanctification. And so that's the way in which we should walk. Now, this is not for us to lay aside truth. This is not to forfeit the firm foundation of Jesus. Here's what we need to know. Jesus is perfect theology. I don't care if you love Calvin, I don't care if you love Luther, I don't care if you love Wesley, I don't care if you love Lauren Hill. <laughs> At the end of the day, Jesus is our perfect theology. And so what Jesus calls us to do, he calls us not to just walk in truth, but to walk in absolute truth. Absolute truth is this. Absolute truth to say, I keep in view of other people just how sinful I am. Everybody knows that I'm a sinner, so I keep that in view, but at the same time, I keep in view that the fact that I had a radical encounter with Jesus. And that radical encounter with Jesus severed my ties to the sin. And no longer is my identity found in my sin, but my identity is found in Christ. And guess what, friend? That can be your story too. That's how we walk in absolute truth. We live in a world where everybody wants Christians to be their allies. Oh, be an ally with my sexuality because they don't understand. Be an ally with my political party because the other one's trying to destroy our country. Be be an ally with whatever, the way that we're supposed to bake cookies in America. I'm sick of these macaroons, so, so be with me. You know what Jesus and Levi teaches us? It says, you know what? The best way to be an ally is to, yeah, you want to be hospitable. Let's be hospitable to everybody. But you know what else we do? We're to be honest. We're to be honest. What does that look like? It looks like giving freely the grace that we've received. Everything about our life we've received freely from God. I don't care how hard you work. You work 90 hours a week. You could have been working 90 hours a week. Making $2 an hour, because some people do. It's a gift of God. You give freely. That's a picture of the grace we receive. We give that freely to people, while holding firmly to the fact that the only way they can escape from the sin of their life is to hold firmly to Jesus too. And so we meet people where they are. But we bring Jesus with us. What's our application? Our purposes in Jesus are always found in the purposes of Jesus. Our purpose in Jesus is always found in the purposes of Jesus. If you're sitting here and you wonder what is God's purpose for your life, and you're a follower of Jesus, can I just tell you go read the scriptures? Whatever you see Jesus doing, that's your purpose. He left the kingdom. In our hands, the Bible teaches us that the Father has committed Himself for the church to be the primary vehicle in which He changes the world. He could have done it any other way. He could make the rocks cry out. He could snap his fingers, but He has committed Himself. And when God commits Himself to something, He never lets it go. So He has committed Himself to the church to to bring out the work of the kingdom. So wouldn't it make sense for us to be found working on the day that he comes back to see what the return on his, on his investment was? I'm going to tell you this. I don't care where you work at. You can work at Humana. And I don't care what their policy is about sharing your faith at work. You can take somebody to lunch. If you pay for lunch, I guarantee they're coming. <laughs> and if you pay for lunch, you set the agenda. So we're going to sit here. We're going to eat which which, and I'm going to tell you my story. And I'm going to invite you again. I'm going to tell them to pay for it again. They go, ooh, this person, they paying for my. Next time, Jesus, I'm coming. I'm coming. No questions asked. But that's just the way that we're supposed to move. It's, there's nothing wrong with, with, with having an intention. We're called to be uh, living in missional intentionality. That's one of our values as a church. So let's walk in that. Here's some more homework for you. Ask yourself these two questions Is my changed life inviting others to the table? Is my changed life inviting others to the table? And and does my life bring others into proximity to Jesus? We like to think we got this glory cloud on us and that our glow is shining in the other cubicle and we're blocking their screen. They're like, oh, your glory is just so bright. And I just need to come ask you, where did you get this glory from? That just ain't how it works. We got to be intentional. We got to go fishing. We got to step into some risk a little bit for Jesus. Here's the last thing. When Jesus calls you, it's to a decision. There are three decision moments in our passage today. One is clear. The other two are implied. You just got to dig for them. When we read this, the book of Levi gives us the detail that we need for this passage. It says this, Levi, when hearing this invitation from Jesus, got up, left everything, and followed Jesus. This detail is here to emphasize that when Levi followed Jesus, he didn't haphazardly do it. But Levi was willing to relinquish all things to follow Jesus. He was willing to just take the next step of obedience. He didn't collect the last $300. Let me go and get the last 300 I already collected this today. God, you'll bless it anyway. He didn't do that. He didn't say, I'm about to go to Thorns and get a 44-inch Coke. I mean, 44-ounce Coke, because I'll start my diet tomorrow. I'm just about to, I'm about to go in today, go to Corral, and then I'm on the diet tomorrow. He didn't do that. He's like, I'm leaving everything to follow Jesus. The second decision moment is the decision of those who accepted the invitation to come to Jesus. How many of you know that was, that's bold? Because here's the story that the scriptures don't tell us, but when you know the culture, you'll see it. These people had already been rejected by religious people before. They were already kicked out of the synagogue. They were already not welcome. So when somebody comes and say, I want to invite you to come eat with the, the, the biggest religious teacher in town, is he going to reject me again too? That took some boldness and some faith to come back. And Levi had to make a promise that, hey, if I, if I bring you to this, to this banquet, I promise you that Jesus will receive you. And man, let's be a church that, that is ready to receive people when they come through our doors. Let's also be ready to, to disciple them. But we have to receive before we can disciple. The third decision point came from the Pharisees who chose not to eat with Jesus. In this scene, we realize that the very ones who should have known the value of eating with Jesus choosing to take a rain check. They had spent their whole lives studying the scriptures, waiting for the Messiah, and here here he is, ready to eat with them, and they rejected him to the point where they nailed him to a cross. And those three decisions are two questions at the foundation. The first question is, do I know I need them? The Pharisees didn't know they needed him. The second question is, am I willing to receive him on his terms? Everybody loves to rewrite Jesus. And we argue about which wrong depiction of Jesus is the best depiction of Jesus. Did Jesus, would Jesus have gone to Woodstock? I don't know. Would Jesus have marched in the pride parade? Would, would Jesus wear a Black Lives Matter shirt? Did Jesus have dreads? Was Jesus' blonde Had with blue eyes? We just wanna argue about these wrong pictures of Jesus. Jesus was a Middle Eastern man who was a Jew who was the son of God. That's what you need to know. And he had a purpose and a plan in his life. And he invites anybody who were receiving an opportunity to go on that journey. He never promises that it's gonna be easy He promises, in fact, that it's going to be very hard. He says you might be persecuted for it. Somebody might literally take your life for saying you love Jesus. You're going to have to give up some things to walk with me. You're going to have to let the dead bear the dead. You're going to have to carry your cross daily. This is a grueling walk with Jesus, but I promise you on the other side is freedom. Will we receive Jesus? On his terms. For somebody in this room, this is your opportunity to finally say yes to Jesus. You're just like Levi. You've been sitting in a tax booth. You've heard message after message about Jesus. And today is the day that the Holy Spirit is visiting you right now in that seat and saying, Now is the time. For some of us in this room, these two questions are going to make us realize how how proudfully we've been walking. Like, what have we given over to follow Jesus in our lives? If you can't name anything, then you're probably not following Jesus with your life. And it gives us a chance to evaluate, God, what has my love for you cost me? Either way, no matter who you are and where you sit in your journey, there's an opportunity for you, for you today to receive an invitation from Jesus and to respond. It's the same invitation that Levi received. And here it is. Follow me. Follow me even if it costs you something. Even if you still have problems tomorrow. Even if you will betray me along the way. Even if you don't think you deserve forgiveness. Even if nobody else wants you. Even if nobody else wants to come with you. Even if you are addicted, abused, diseased. Even if your soul is destitute. Even if you are afraid, even if you would disappoint someone along the way by saying yes to Jesus, Jesus simply says, follow me and I will take care of the rest. Jesus says, follow me. My crucified body is your easy yoke. My nail pierced hands are your sufficient grace. My resurrection is your salvation and your security. My love is your portion. Here's your application. When Jesus says, follow me, he says, receive my love and let my love complete its work in you. He didn't come to give you a burden. He came to show you what love actually feels like. Will you receive his love today and allow it to complete his work in your heart? Father God, we thank you. There's none like you. You have no rival. You have no equal. You reign forever and forever. Before the foundations of the earth, you were king. You are God. God. God, I thank you that you receive us. Your word tells us that God, we can approach your throne of grace with confidence. So right now, as the enemy is at work trying to snatch the seeds that have been planted, would your Holy Spirit come back the lies and remind people of your grace and remind people of your love? There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, and those who are outside of you, there is a promise that you will meet them where they are because you have already died. You died once and you died for all. Will we say yes? God, we thank you. In the mighty name of Jesus I pray. Amen. In the next moment the worship team is going to lead us through a song and here's my invitation to you. is to just hang on that last point. What is the decision that God is inviting you into today? If you're ready to say yes to Jesus, just know that you don't have to pray a special prayer with me, but you have unprecedented access to the Father to pray that prayer from your seat today and say, God, I give my life to you, have your way. I don't know what all it means, but I know that you're better than what I've been doing. If you make that decision today, I want to encourage you to pray, but also encourage you to let us know because we would love to walk with you. We know this journey is not easy, but it's meant to be done in the context of a family. We want to be that family. To some of us, we just need to come before the altar and and lay down our burdens. We need to confess our pride and our arrogance and how much we we have relinquished from God's hand because it was more comfortable to us. When you come, listen, there's no condemnation. You're not coming to get a spanking. You're just coming to get right. You're just coming to be honest. And so throughout this next psalm, I invite you to hear the words. I invite you to meditate I what the Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now, and I invite you to make a decision with Jesus.